I couldn't help but notice that you've clicked on and are presently listening to an episode of the Paranormal Patio Podcast. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your support. And if you want to continue to support us, the best thing you can do is share our episodes on social media. That's right. You can tag us in everything. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find us on ParanormalPatio.com, where you'll find articles, links to information from our past guests, as well as, uh, you know, every episode as it comes out. Also, head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash beyondthepatio. You can get a monthly live stream, at least one, sometimes we do more, exclusive bonus content, early access to all of our episodes, and starting with season three, I've got to move season one to the archives, so they'll be on Patreon as well, and you can listen to them there. Thanks again for your support, and uh, hey, let's get into the episode. What kind of weird thing are we talking about today? In this episode, we're welcoming back Nathan Isaac of the wonderful podcast, Penny Royal. Also, you've probably seen him on Hellier if you haven't watched Hellier yet. Uh, I'm running out of excuses to make for you guys who haven't watched it. You've been listening to this show for quite some time, and it comes up a lot. So you should really make some time to sit down and watch Hellier. At any rate, right now you're here to listen to my show. And you know what? I love you for it. Nathan is back. He joined us for episode one of season two and brought Darian with him that time. Tonight he's flying solo, representing Penny Royal all by himself in the wonderful town of Somerset, Kentucky. This is sort of a special episode in that when this episode comes out on April 15th, we will be 10 days away from the two-year anniversary of Paranormal Patio. How about that? Two years. It's insane. The next episode will be out on the 29th, so I'm going to consider this the anniversary episode. Now, this was not planned. It just kind of happened that way by schedule, and I realized yesterday that the two-year anniversary is coming up. So, yeah, this is a good way to to end two years and kick off year three of the show. Nathan and I are going to be talking about Penny Royal. We're going to be talking about Somerset. We're going to be talking about Bigfoot and magic and conspiracies and weird historical connections. It's just, it's a grab bag. You never know what you're going to get whenever you get Nathan Isaac on the phone. (laughs) So enjoy, sit back, relax. Also, this was recorded live during a Patreon exclusive live stream where we actually had video and chat and all that good stuff. So if you want to get in on the next one of those, which will be an anniversary party, head over to patreon.com slash beyond the patio, get signed up and hang out with us on our live streams once a month exclusively for Patreon members. You're listening to the Paranormal Patio Podcast. Welcome back to Paranormal Patio. As always, I'm Jason. We are doing a live stream for the Patreon slash live recording for an episode of Paranormal Patio. And I am pleased 
and honored and privileged to have the one and only Nathan Isaac right back here in the Paranormal Patio. Nathan, welcome back to the Paranormal Patio. Hey, man. How are you doing, dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are things in Somerset, Kentucky? They're as strange as ever, man. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love that you're back. Uh, We had a chance to catch up in January at the uh, release party for Penny Royal Season 2, which was a great time. Thanks for uh, inviting me down. I had a blast. Thanks for coming to it, too, man. I know it's it's quite a haul for you to get down here, you know. but It is, but it's worth it every time. I think I'm going to come down again for uh, the Goblin Market. Uh, that Are Dan you really? Doing. I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You if should I can make sure, it work out. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> Dan was like, so what are you going to do? And uh, I was like, I'm going to trade stickers for stories. I'll give people oh. stickers if they'll give me a great story. So I love it. I love it. What a what a fun concept. It's the old bartering system. You know? That's, that's like, the whole goblin market thing is supposed to be kind of like barter based, you know, plus, plus it's part of his um, Aunt Lou Day, which yeah. is, um, you know, a witch. The, 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 the f- thing now that we found out is that so that witch Aunt Lou, her last name is Tartar. One of her family members that I guess maintained her legacy was this guy named Judge Tartar. And so the house that we just bought, the farm we just bought and moved into is the house that Judge Tartar built, right? And so Dan was over here and we were like, he was telling us these stories and he was like, yeah, Judge Tartar. And I'm like, you're in Judge Tartar's house. And it was like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) A lot has happened since the last time that you were on Paranormal Patio officially in an episode. That was back in November of 2020. I think was uh, when we hooked up the first time. And of course you were on a live stream for the hurricane Ida relief with uh, Greenfield and Lonnie Scott, which, you know, was, it was a good time. You had a good time. You had a really good good time. Too good of a time. (laughs) Too good of a time. Uh, So what's been going on with the ongoing Penny Royal project since we last spoke? Oh man, where to start? (laughs) Um, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you're in the second season as well. I am. Thank um, you. After after the first season, obviously, we we kept chugging, uh, finishing up the second season. I started releasing that in January. It's been really crazy uh, releasing the show. You know, it's the second season is somewhat different than the first season, I guess, in terms of uh, format, kind of. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's a different focus, I guess. And and I think the story kind of widens out. But yeah, man, we've, you know, things have gotten a little stranger in a more focused way. I, I guess a lot of things that are happening now are because of the show. Right. And okay. so and and obviously that's something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show. But also, you know, you and I have talked about this and a lot of people, a lot of other people about hyperstitions. And you know, we talk talk a lot about that. And I think there's definitely a hyperstitional quality to it now, but I can't say that that's really true if it's just crazy synchronicities. You know, we just had a bunch of stuff happen that's going to be in the third season, (laughs) which is really weird, man. You know what I mean? And it was like because of the second season, you know, people were sending me messages again, a lot of fantastic fans and, and just other researchers that listen to the show sent me, you know, they would just they listen to the show and it would cause a spark. They would remember something or uh, make a connection and then send me this big long email saying, Hey, love the show. Have you thought about this? And 
a few of those were pretty right on the mark in terms of some like very personal stuff that no one knows. You know, I told Derry and I was like, this is the third season. You know what I mean? Like it's forming itself out of this, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's such a strange thing. It's like a weird, continuously unfolding thing, you know? But yeah, I mean, things have just been as crazy as ever, you know, <laughs> since since, <laughs> since the second season came out, you know, in January. And I don't know, it's it's, it's just been really fascinating. You know, and the big thing too is I, I have really, really enjoyed over the last year interviewing so many people and and talking to a lot of people a lot of people i really i mean i respect everybody i love everybody that's a guest on the show but i really think the second season you know getting to talk to like bosley and you know um you know adam go rightly's in it and you know there's just a lot of people that i think are you know they're really well respected researchers you know the older generation not that those guys are old i'm sure they'd be like what (laughs) But, but, uh, but i do feel like in a weird way that we, you know, the stuff you're working on, the stuff we're working on, a lot of the, the people in the circle, you know, it's like this weird circle of, of researchers of this generation and, you know, and, and getting to talk to Alan Greenfield uh, and having him on the show. And, and he and I talked a lot about, you know, he's writing that book, uh, saucers and saucerers. It's about the first generation of of UFO researchers that he thinks are, are never really addressed as much as the John Keels and the, you know, the, those types of, you know, Jacques Vallée, but that there's a, an original generation, you know, the Mosleys and, and whatnot. And so he really wants to highlight that. And yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see, see all of those, those different generations of researchers. And then I feel like this, whatever's happening right now in the paranormal community and the Fordian community and conspiracy community, there's sort of a, I feel like it's not like things have ever died out, but it does feel like a resurgence in a weird way, you know, because we all are sort of telling new stories or connecting with stories that people forgot about, you know, yeah. definitely with like Edadorpa, you know, yeah. uh, and, and now, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's crazy how some of this stuff has come back around, you know, or it's, or it's just been waiting for the right time, you know? Yeah. And I think another aspect of that is just a different viewpoint, right? Because whenever the old guard was the guard, there's fresh eyes on that now. And so we're seeing it with other connections that didn't exist at the time. So it's not even so much a rediscovery. It's like um, almost like a, a reboot, right? Like a Hollywood yeah. reboot of of everything that's going on. So yeah, that's yeah, a good way fun. to put it. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun. It's like everything is exciting. You know, even if it's something that everybody knows about now, there's this new angle on it. Right. And now there's this connection to something else that is just as big or even bigger. And it's all just cycles itself back in. Right. Yeah. And it's funny too, like some stuff that older generations of researchers knew about, but didn't see any significance in. Yeah. And then now we're, we're like, wait a second. What about this? This is crazy. You know, you know, I I think it's really nuts that nobody had, well, at the time, uh, Usenet, right. Um, that Kansan, uh, 1225 stuff, right. That Mm -hmm. I was telling you about that there's this, uh, weird poster on the Usenet groups who sounds exactly like, or he writes exactly like James Shelby Downard but he didn't start until two years after Downard's death. You know what I mean? So it's like, obviously not Downard, but that guy, the stuff he's putting online is absolutely crazy. It's like insane conspiracy theories. And then it turns out he's, he was stalking 
Claudia Schiffer or, yeah, or somebody like that. Somebody like really famous, some famous model or actress, like seriously stalking her though, you know, not a joke, like was really stalking her. So that's like a weird element of it. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those, it's one of those strange things that people sort of accepted it at the time as just sort of like, Oh, that guy's crazy. Right. But now yeah. looking, looking back on it in the context of the research we've been doing with James Shelby Downer and all the stuff, it's like, Man, that's real fast. <laughs> like, we need to dig into that because that's, you know, what's in that guy's rantings and ravings that is relevant to some of the research we're doing right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the research that you're doing now, as of this point where we're having this conversation, Penny Royal Season 2 has not finished up yet. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it's possible that it will have already concluded. So are we going to see any more, hear any more about uh, Gaterma? in season two um no no i mean there's not i mean i'm i'm definitely going to reference them in terms of um this idea of like uh hyperstitions and 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 information structures and things you know the, the final episode is really sort of talking a lot about how you know i'm returned to the cybernetic cybernetics binary code and kind of tying together all that stuff that we've kind of found you know and then setting up the third season which I already knew where I was going to go with the third season, you know, even even before halfway through the second, you know, this is nine months ago. I knew where I was going to go with the third season, you know, because there is a, more of the story to tell. But again, what I was talking about with people messaging me and sending me stuff, it's weird how what I've been sent lines up with what I already have sketched out, you know. Yeah, it's really like very synchronous, but we won't be talking about Guterma in, in the final episode. I do plan on once the second season is finished, I'm going back into the research phase again, which I've been kind of <laughs> with all this stuff that people are sending me. I, it's it's hard not to get distracted and start looking at some of this stuff. And it's like, got got to, got to get this stuff out, you know, and then I can start looking at it. There's a lot of new stuff with James Shelby Downard uh, that we found that I I really want to dig into, but definitely the Guterma side, I found some new connections between Guterma and then Downard's ex-wife's new husband, Alan Whitwer. So it's like Guterma. And so it's a connection between, we talk about it um, in this most recent episode, episode nine, we talk about Wycliffe Draper, uh, who was a very wealthy debutante sort of in the early 1900s, who, whose family was the, um, largest slave owners in Kentucky, right? He ended up being pretty much the primary founder of the, uh, or funder of the uh, eugenics movement, right? So anyway, I just, I was looking something up uh, related to Downard. Boom. It was an article that connected Draper to Willis Cardo and the Liberty Lobby, which ties in Hoffman and Grimstead, and that they were tied into McMurchison, who owned the uh, Del Charo Hotel, and uh, that's where Alan Whitwer, Downard's ex-wife's new husband, was the manager who says he overheard those guys discussing JFK's assassination, right? And so it's this whole storyline that kind of ties in with Meyer Lansky, uh, who was Guterma's business partner at the Desert Inn, right? Mm -hmm. And then because of Guterma's grift, the Desert Inn was forced to be sold and Howard Hughes bought it. And that's yeah. where Hughes was staying in the penthouse when he was abducted by the Mormons, supposedly. Right. It's just a crazy thing. And it was like, I couldn't believe that there, there was such a solid connection between Guterma, Meyer Lansky and Mo Dallitz. 
And then this uh, Willis Carto, the Liberty Lobby, you know, I'm going to be digging into that heavily. In the second season, I, I didn't get a focus as much as I wanted to on the FBI files that we got from about Katerma. I mean, we could do a whole thing on Katerma. Oh, here's something that we are going to do, which is uh, I think it'll be cool is after the second season is, is over with before we get into the third season, you know, it's going to be at least a year, you know, before I put that out, because I've got a lot of interviews to do and stuff for prep for that. But I want to do Penny Royal 93, which is 1993. What was happening here in Somerset? There's a bunch of crazy things. And then uh, Penny Royal 73, which was what was happening at, at Oakwood. And then Penny Royal 53. And these are just single episodes, uh, standalone episodes that really focus on all the weird stuff that year that was happening uh, here in Somerset. And then the fourth one that we're going to do is Penny Roll 33, which is both a joke on, you know, Freemasonry and, uh, and all the weird stuff that was happening with the morphine trade uh, <laughs> here in Somerset. So now I mean, but I think I thought that would be kind of a cool way to sort of put a uh, hyper focus on sort of the historical underpinnings of the weirdness that was happening here so i'm going to do those things not to be too tangential but i don't think you mind right if I... no never never <laughs> i was contacted by a journalist and that you're the first one to hear about this man oh exclusive content exclusive. exclusive content right so and i love this I, I love this a journalist from switzerland sent me a message right and then it was like love the show love the work you're doing about 10 years ago, I was doing research on the Erickson Bigfoot project. I, and I wasn't aware of this when I, when I read about it, because he said, look this up, just look up Erickson Bigfoot project. When I did, it was, I guess, 2013 or so, I think it was the DNA, the Squatch DNA case. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. They, they said that they had footage of a Squatch and it was in Kentucky, in Northern Kentucky is where they found the Squatch, have footage of the Squatch, and then got DNA evidence. And But the, the group is from um, North Texas, right? It's like the North Texas Bigfoot Association. But they were uh, they spent $500,000, supposedly, over five years doing this research. They told everybody. I mean, ABC has a news conference. Like, I mean, this is like national news when they announced this, right? But then nothing ever came of it. Right. They're like, we've got it. We've proven this is a, you know, 150,000 year old hominid or some crazy shit. And so this journalist, this Swiss journalist from there interviewed everybody, like called them up and like did audio interviews and wrote to these people, like the people involved and the, you know, just everybody, the witnesses and stuff. He said that he was trying to put together a story for like, a major paper to do on, do on this particular subject. And then all of a sudden everybody went quiet, right? He, he couldn't get in contact with anyone. And so he's like, I have all of these interviews. I have all of this stuff. And most of it is focused on Kentucky. And he's like, if you want access to this and want to start looking into this story, I'd love to share this with you. And so I was like, man, that would make for a pretty fantastic sort of sidecar story, you know, for Penny Royal to, to, to take, you know, just do a little three or four special episode thing and get with him and sort of really look at the belief in Bigfoot as a flesh and blood creature. But really, is it a flesh and blood creature? You know what I mean? That's obviously something we explore, uh, when we talk to, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, 
the guy that we had on the our live stream uh, from Northern Kentucky. Yeah. Um, I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now, but whenever we talked to him, rem- remember, I don't know if you saw that live stream or not, but he, was like, it, he was like, you know, I was asking him about seeing weird things. It was like, nope, nope, nope. Never seen anything weird. That was like, well, yeah, there were like these balls of light, you know, that Bigfoot might've turned into, but that's ridiculous. You know? And it's yeah. like, but still, you know, you're not even questioning whether in that that's an aspect of the phenomenon, <clears throat> you know? So in terms of a hoax, about Bigfoot. And so this idea of it, what's real and what's not real, you know, amongst these people who are, who are uh, Bigfoot research, I think would be a great story, man. You yeah. know, I'm curious what audio bits and interviews this guy has. So I'm, I'm very interested in talking to him and, and seeing, seeing if we can put something together to kind of, you know, go a little deeper into that aspect of Kentucky lore, you know? Yeah. So I remember that live stream very vividly because after it was over, Kyle had sent me a message and said, Hey, this guy is wanting to talk to you. And I was like, okay, you know, I wonder why, but whatever. Sure. You know, yeah, go ahead and give him, go give my contact. So he sends me a message and he said, uh, there's a guy in my group that lives in, I won't say where in Illinois. And he has done a lot of, you know, like Bigfoot hunting around where he lives. Yeah, sure enough. It's the town I was born in. It's like 40 minutes from me, right? So he's like, would you reach out to him and and talk to him? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I, th- I think I've told you the story personally. It's It's been on uh, the podcast and, you know, people do or don't listen. But there's this uh, Bigfoot story that my friend Keith told at the beginning of season three. It's a really crazy Bigfoot story. That area is equidistant from two places that your guest on that live stream and this other guy have investigated. Like it's right in the middle. That place is right smack dab in the middle. Okay. So I'm talking to this guy from up by me and he's like the first time that I saw like red eye shine while I was Bigfoot hunting was around the area where you're talking about. And I was like, that's crazy. You know, like what are the odds of all this? Like I'm just, chiming in in the chat on your live stream you know for that episode and he has all this stuff so uh when it warms up a little bit more i'm actually meeting up with the guy who lives up here and we're gonna go to the cemetery where my friend keith and i went and then where my friend levi and i went this past january it's this weird window hot spot where there is a bigfoot in the area that is known as the she ape okay and there's also independent floating balls of light in the cemetery that I have seen. I saw one. No way. And, yeah. So like the whole Bigfoot turned into balls of light thing. Like, yeah, just all, all of it is churning away here while you're talking. So it's Dude, pretty nuts. Well, so does it, um, does the activity center on the cemetery? Like, yes. is there a, really dude? That's man. That's, uh, have you talked to Josh Cutchin about this at all? I um, did. Yeah. What did he think? Was he kind of like, it's, it's, it's Kutchin. You know, it's like that is that's the Kutchin theory, right? The whole thing. Because also while we were there, when I went with Keith back in August to the cemetery for the first time, we saw a UFO what? in the cemetery. Yeah, while we were there. We You've got to take me there, man. Like so nuts. Oh well, yeah, come up anytime. I'll take you there. So <laughs> we're we're in the cemetery and 
we hear these big crashes in the woods. The cemetery is about a mile from the river. The river is about, or this spot on the river is about five miles from where Keith had had this Bigfoot encounter. He hears these big crashes. I hear these big crashes. He turns white as a sheet and his eyes are like saucers because he has been like touching Bigfoot, like literally within three feet. You know, he touched toes with Bigfoot through the side of a tent. Okay. <laughs> so he's freaking out a little bit. Because we're right in the same area. We hear these enormous crashes that don't make any sense. And so it stops and we hear this breathing sound coming from the edge of the woods. It stops. He's freaked out. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's just change focus a little bit. Get our minds, you know, settled a little bit. We're in a cemetery. I'm not a ghost hunter. You know, we have an audio recorder going. Let's play a civil war song because there's some civil war graves in the cemetery. So we play hell on the Wabash. When we're playing it, we notice this light overhead like moving super fast across the sky from south to north. So I pull out my phone app that has air flight, like traffic control on it, right? So I'm looking to see if there's any airplanes in the area, which it didn't look like an airplane anyway. I mean, it was all solid white, yellow mm -hmm. type of color. And so the closest one was like 45 minutes away and it was going from north to southeast. So there was nothing else there. While I'm looking at it on my app, Keith goes, oh, it flashed. Oh, it's gone. Like within seconds. And so... We're looking for Bigfoot in a haunted cemetery and we're playing a damn Civil War song and a UFO shows up. All of that after we thought someone was going to break into my car because there was this yellow light that looked like a really cheap flashlight moving down the tree line towards my car. And we get down there and there's nobody there, no evidence of anybody there. So this whole area is just like it's a catching spot. Like the whole thing is this whole interconnectivity, this window area that's bizarre. So we went back in January and caught EVPs uh, and a ghost of, or a voice, a disembodied voice of a little girl said my name. No. And, yeah. Really? And there was, there's whistling and there's all kinds of crazy stuff, man. It's a really bizarre spot. And it's only like 20 minutes from my house, 15 minutes from my house. I can't believe you saw that in one, at one time, man, you know, like I know. Yeah. Uh, well, so I've got a question for you that, that you brought up the, um, the crashing noise. Yeah. All right. So I, and I think I've, I think you've heard me tell this story, but you know, I've never had a Bigfoot encounter in terms of like thinking I saw Bigfoot. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? However, the, the first time this happened, a friend of mine was at the house. We were in high school, right? 17, 18 years old. I was like my junior, senior year. He and a friend were over. We were up probably playing D&D, &D, White Wolf, something like that. You know what I mean? But at my house, uh, my parents' house, you know, often we were somewhere else. But we we're this particular time, we we're at my parents' house in the woods. You know, it's a really big farm, large forest, ponds and stuff like that. My, one of my friends was talking about how he uh, could do magic, right? And at this time, I wasn't like, you know, I loved paranormal stuff and, and obviously uh, Fordian stuff. But, you know, the magic stuff, I was like, oh, all right, let's go outside and you can perform some magic, right? And he's like, all right, I'll do it, you know? So we, <laughs> we go outside and he starts like doing some type of ritual. He starts chanting, right? He's like, oh man, I can, I can feel something coming up on my legs, you know, some energy, blah, blah, blah. You know, he was doing, doing this. And I swear to God, man, all of a sudden there was this crazy crash of a tree in the forest, right? At, like at the top of the ridge line. And everybody, you know, the three of us reacted because it was like, holy shit, a tree fell, right? So I'm like, oh, what was that? And then another one, right? 
And then it was like coming down the hill. And this was moonlight, so I could see the trees, right? Coming down the hill toward us, it sounded like something was knocking full-size trees, not breaking branches. It was the sound of trees being pushed over and slapping the ground, right? But I couldn't see any trees going over. And of course, we ran inside the house and we're freaking out, right? A few months later, we went camping with, it was 12 of us. And we were in an area called Rock Lick. And this is in McGoffin County. And it's on sort of a strip mine. And there's ponds and things. So we went there to go camping. And there were all these stories of a witch in white and this huge nine foot tall black creature uh, with red eyes, right? Then the story was always that this uh, witch, right, uh, had been hung at her house in this holler, right? What's funny enough, though, you know, Cutchin has stories in uh, where the footprints end about sightings of white ladies and Bigfoot, right? Mm -hmm. Of these these huge creatures, which I thought was interesting, you know. So we're camping out and I was telling the story of my friend at our house at the house. And he was there with me. Both of those guys were there. We were telling the other uh, nine people with us about what happened. And he was like, yeah, man, my spell worked. And I was like, your spell didn't work, dude. Something weird happened, but it wasn't that. And and he kept going. I was like, then fine, dude. Then do it again. Right. And I swear to God, he started doing it again. And it was the same thing, man. It was this sound, you know, of trees being knocked over and it was coming down the hill toward us. Right. But there, I could see no trees falling, but I could hear trees falling. It was the strain. Of course, then we jumped in our vehicles and got out of there. You know? <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, but those are the only two times. The one other time there was an, a night when some friends who were dabbling in magic and, and doing all kinds of uh, weird stuff, which I was never like involved in but they were supposedly summoning things and doing all kinds of, of shit they probably shouldn't do now that i know all of this stuff and we've you know what i mean now that we've done all this research i'm like well that was a bad idea for those kids to do that you know there was one night when i got a phone call and it was like dude it was the same with one of the guys that was with me he's like dude i saw something you know brandon called me he saw something at his house and then there was another guy and he was like there could be something at your house. Don't go outside. Right. Listen, my dad was up with me. Right. And he, and it was like midnight or something. And, and he and I had stayed up kind of late. And again, I was like 17, 18 years. I wasn't a kid, you know? And I remember I was like, he kept calling me. And then the other guy called me and they're like, dude, something's happened tonight. Something's after everybody. I got off the phone. I was kind of pissed off, you know? And (laughs) just cause I was like, this is ridiculous, you know? So my dad was up, he was in the other room and I walk out of my porch and I was like, if anything, (laughs) this is like pitch black darkness. And then the forest, right? It kind of slopes up from my house. And then then there's a garden in the forest. I was like, if anything's out here, come and get me. Right. And the moment I said that, I swear I heard the most rumbling guttural animal sound come from like 15 feet from me in the darkness and it was the craziest i mean i went why is the sheep ran inside the house you know dad got his gun you know what i mean it was like but you know i didn't see anything i didn't see bigfoot you know but i think that's interesting you know you mentioned that sound uh you know like as if something has knocked down a tree you know but you don't see it you can't see anything it's almost as if it's projecting that sound into your mind Right. But into everybody's mind, because it's not right. just you that hears it. Yeah. It's the whole group of people that are there. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's weird, dude. I don't know. I mean, there's something to that, right? There has yeah. to be something to that. You know, it goes back to all this stuff just being connected and the way that it works with like our bodies and how we pick up on all this different chatter, you know, this, this static and, and how we interpret it and, and how we sometimes interpret it the same way as other people that are there, but sometimes we interpret completely differently than the people that are there. Yeah. Yeah. There's those yeah. crazy stories about like a group of people will be like in a hotel or something and they'll, they'll all see something mysterious, but they all have a completely different description of what they saw at the same time in the same place. But it looks like a dragon to one person and it looks like a person to one, you know, whoever. And then no one has anything that corroborates with the other, but they all experienced something at that time. And yeah. it's fascinating. There's the, they're like, um, I remember there's a famous, like a fairy sighting. It was a group of kids and they all reported seeing little little people in cars driving around right and the little people in cars interacted with them i forget uh, the name of the case anyway whenever the investigators interviewed the kids separately they all saw the same thing but it was different right like the things told them the same things right the the conversation that they all witnessed and participated in was the same but the way that the the size of the beings the colors of the beings what they were wearing the the cars the type of cars that they were driving like all these things were all different and it's like were these kids perceiving this you know what i mean it just it looked different to all of them you know anytime there are these sightings of like nordic aliens or Bigfoot, or monsters, demons, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, people are seeing these, like, muscular things, right? You know? But, like, those things would have to be, in order for them to be chiseled and muscular, they would have to be, like, like the Nordic aliens would have to be working out. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, they wouldn't have those types of muscle tones and this, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of, like, barbarian look, right? Yeah. Unless they were like doing things that would promote, you know, you know, they're like lifting things. We're talking about non-physical creatures, right? Mm -hmm. Or metaphysical beings. Or, and if they're coming from another dimension, right, then they have to be working out in the other dimension, right? Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, that makes me think that what we're seeing in those cases is a projection, right? It's Definitely. something projecting strength. Otherwise, you know, some of these things would have to be slobs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like the monster that doesn't go to the gym all the time. You know, yeah, they, sure. they can't all be alpha apex predators. You know, I mean, I guess they could. They could be wrong. They're monsters hunting people in other dimensions. I don't know. You know, but. well, it, it draws back to like tribal primitive like fears. You know, if you're out in the wild as a, you know, I don't want to say caveman, but an early man and you come across some other creature that is jacked. You know, that's when you run away. That's when you you're in fear. You're, you know, you're in the flight mode or the fight mode. I suppose it's going to trigger one or the other. Right. But if you encounter, you know, some little boy or some little girl or something like you're not threatened at all. And, you know, maybe that that fight or flight is part of the requirement for you to further that that connection at that time, that experience, because if you can't get your mind into that state, it can't interpret the data that you're about to receive. So, you know, that could be something else where people see something differently and get a different message or whatever, you yeah. know, despite being in the same place. If their mental space is different, I mean, I think that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that absolutely makes sense, man. Again, it's like those those parts of the phenomena are what make it hard to, you know, when people are trying to get DNA evidence of Bigfoot, you know, it's like, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know if there's any DNA to find. And if you did, what's it going to tell you? Maybe the DNA you find is just going to be interpreted however, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's that's an interesting point. And, and dude, the whole thing with when I first watched Twin Peaks and the, there was the log lady. Okay. Yeah. And definitely in the wake of engaging with the Penny Royal mystery and then making the show and stuff, but all the things that have happened, Twin Peaks is like totally recontextualized for me. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's weird, but, but anyway, but the log lady, I didn't get at the time that I watched it, that that was a fetch. It was like this idea of, you know, the, the fairies leaving a piece of wood behind when they snatch a child. Mm-hmm. And then that piece of wood through glamor, transforms into the baby right yeah just you just you wonder about all of this stuff you know it's like if they found physical evidence of bigfoot is it only physical evidence of bigfoot because they believe it's physical evidence of bigfoot right it's transformed into that right but it could it could be anything you know it's a a piece of moss (laughs) you know what i mean But it's just interesting that that there is this element of whatever this is. I mean, it's just that 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 it's all one thing, but also not. You know what I mean? It's it's I don't know. It's so strange. It is, but I love it. I love it. This is, you know, this is why I'm here to talk to people about this sort of thing, right? It's like if I didn't find anything interesting in paranormal stuff, I was a total skeptic. I can't imagine what I would be doing with my life right now because my life has changed so much. My personality has changed so much that this is this is all i do yeah i sit around and i think about things and i hope that someday i will encounter someone and have a conversation where i can say the thing that i thought three months ago (laughs) you know what i mean and i can't imagine what it's like for you because i (laughs) i often describe you to other people as plugging a computer into the wall that you can't unplug and it just keeps outputting data right i told steven snyder that talking to nathan is like plugging a computer in that you can't shut off and it just keeps pumping out information all the time so like i know that you operate in the same way that i do in that regard because there's just constant input coming in and then you process it so fast that you can't get rid of it fast enough so when you do have an opening it just it's like a fire hydrant you know just boom here it comes yeah (laughs) ready or not man here's a bunch of weird shit hopefully it connects together you know (laughs) you know and the, the great part is that often not only does it connect together Sometimes you make those connections when you verbalize it. You know, I found that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Darian's like that. He, he definitely like will throw shit out. He doesn't even realize how it connects to it. So, you know what I mean? But like once, if it's like, once he puts it out there, it's like, you know, it's, it's, he'll be talking about a poem from the 1500s that he read, you know? And then you're like, that connects to this man, you know? Uh, but it is it, it is interesting. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's I, I love it. I agree with you, though. I I think that's for me too. You know, it's a, it's a big part of this is getting to have an outlet to to try to try to tell other people some of this stuff and be like, listen to this. <laughs> yeah, for and, sure. And they don't think you're crazy. You know. Well, I mean, that's just comes with it. You have to wear that coat, right? You have to right. be the crazy person. So (laughs) we've been talking about like sort of cornucopia of weirdness. I wanted to, if you don't mind, and if you can, let's go over a brief rundown of what Penny Royal season two has kind of been about. Like I'd like to, people who haven't listened to Penny Royal, first of all, go do it. Penny Royal, both seasons have been just tremendous. Nathan, you've done such a great job. I love listening. 
all of them. I'd like to get other people to to do the same if you haven't already. If you're here listening to this show, there's a good chance you've already listened to it. But break it down for someone who has just discovered, you know, my show and they don't know about Penny Royal yet. So what's season two like? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I, I tried to structure the story. You know, a lot of it was stuff that I couldn't fit into the first season, you know, and 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 really a continuation of, of the whole story. The motif of the second season is uh, it, it really comes from this idea of whether or not some of us are experiencing some type of like path or road to initiation of some sort, you know, and and I only say that in terms of just like whatever the, you know, not like we're being initiated into something, but it's like that process of discovery, right? Or what, whatever you want to call it. That got me thinking about roads. I've always kind of gathered stories and worked on since the second season of True Detective was about to come out. The creator of that show mentioned in an interview that the the second season was going to be about the occult history of the United States transportation system, right? And I was like, that's going to be great, dude, you know? And then it wasn't about that, right? But I was like, man, somebody should tell the story, you know? Like, that guy had to have accumulated a lot of research about the occult history of the U.S. highway system in order to even make that statement, right? But he obviously figured out this is too esoteric to try to tell, you know, Joe Schmo that's watching True Detective on HBO, all this stuff. So they told something more prosaic. But when you look into it, you, you to that particular angle of research, you find tons of stuff, right? And so I, I thought that, that was a great motif for the second season of Penny Royal was this idea of, you know, the occult history of roads in America, because Somerset is, in Pulaski County, is such a transportation hub you know it's a nexus point because of the the railroad that goes from cincinnati to here definitely at the turn of the century you had to go, come through somerset to to get through the midwest you know and definitely going from tennessee to chicago all the you know and even northeast you had to come through somerset so that's a lot of energy that's a lot of people uh we've got the cumberland river here you know and, and that's why the battle of mill springs happened here it was like one of the most important spots strategically in the civil war Things like that got me thinking. And then uh, obviously Highway 39 is one of the oldest roads in America, right? Because of the great warrior way, you know, the, the, of the Buffalo Traces. That all just kind of naturally formed into this second season talking about roads. And the first episode is really about the connection between Route 66 and this uh, this <laughs> Interstate 66 here in Pulaski County that was a failed road project by Senator Hal Rogers, right? But he convinced everybody that that actually this was going to connect to Route 66 and invoked this like 1950s perfect America, right? This nostalgia and and raised like I think it was 22 million dollars, and they only built 800 feet of the road here in Somerset, right? And so that was the jumping off point, you know? But, but you know, really the reason why I was telling the story of um, of Route 66 is that it does connect into the Freemasons. You know, that road, absolutely, you know, not a conspiracy. That road was built by Freemasons that were part of the Road Commission. It was how Rogers' invocation of the 1950s perfect America that I think if you're listening to episode one, you're probably, you know, you don't know that in episode nine, we're going to come all the way back around to that because that's what the fascists use and the traditionalists use in America, right? To try to invoke this perfect post-war 1950s America as like, don't you remember when everything was perfect then? We've got to go back to that, right? And, and it, that ties into Jack Kerouac. 
you know, and this idea of the beatniks and, and hitchhiking and the roads. And so there is definitely between early episodes and later episodes, a sort of a circularity, you know, a foreshadowing. And then the second episode is about Downard, James Shelby Downard, and our investigation into how he's connected into the uh, Pennyroll mystery. Uh, a lot of research we did with uh, Adam Go Rightly. I think we've made a lot of inroads into that mystery. But Downard's father paved most of the roads in the Midwest, right? And was Freemason and tied into this whole story. The third episode is really about hedgerows and highways, which is taken from a quote from the Bible, uh, which I, I thought was interesting. This is hedgerows and highways. But, you know, that episode is really about witches and witchcraft, folklore. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about um, those sorts of things and are really setting up. You know, we talk about psychic questing also uh, with Charles Topham, because a lot of the penny roll mystery, you know, what's been happening with us, the way that things have unfolded in the story and, and, and to us and revealed itself to us. And, and I think you could say the same thing of like Greg and Dana and the Hellier crew. There's an element of psychic questing. You know, when you read about uh, Andrew Collins and all these guys that were doing psychic questing in, in the 1970s in England, there's a lot of elements of that. It's just everything's digital now, you know. And then the fourth episode, you know, we carry that further into hyperstitions. And we introduce the character of Charles. Everyone calls him Chuck Hayes, which again, it was like, you know, right. I've told Darian and, and, and you've heard me say this so many times. Like I absolutely didn't think we could find another Guterma, right? I mean, how, how could you get any weirder than that guy coming to Somerset, right? That Mr. X. And then we find, you know, Chuck Hayes, who is tied into some of the most classic, you know, the octopus, Danny Casalero, and these like storied conspiracy theories that all connect back to Somerset, right? And even the creation of fucking Bitcoin, you know, this guy's in the mix. And that sort of naturally led into the fifth episode, which is about the documents that we received. Right. And, and it's, it, it's just strange. You know, I want to say this about the, that, that, you know, that was sort of like the mid, mid, that was the mid season finale. But, you know, that was shocking to get those documents and it had all that stuff about what we were researching. Right. But also that the documents were about Willis Carto and how Carto was funding Hoffman and Grimstead and they were working with him. And that's where the Downard stuff comes from. It's, it's so bizarre that we would get those documents and, and the fact that they dealt with gold certificates from the Philippines. And that's where Guterma's in the Philippines. Downard has gold certificates from the Philippines. And it was like these weird reverberations over and over inside the, the story itself. It's like when you throw the rock in the pond and the waves start, but then they start bouncing back and crossing over each other. It's like, Within the story as it was unfolding, that was happening. The latter half of the season was really going a little bit wider. You know, the sixth episode, we really focus on what folklore is and, and talk to Delaney Stevens, a local folklorist here. Seventh episode was uh, As Above. That's our UFO episode. It was a mega, mega episode, man. I interviewed so many people that had something to say about UFOs and it all came together. And I was like, got to put it all in there. Right. And then um, the... Eighth episode is so below. So it's like UFOs in the seventh episode, roads into the sky, roads into space. And then the eighth episode is sort of roads beneath America. And then we come out of the subterranean narrative, right, into this 
through Darkest America is the most recent episode, and it's about fascism in America. Just it, and, and really, it's not out of the blue. I mean, it is this weird part of the story that we kept coming across the Cardo connection, you know, Hoffman, all these guys, Downard, Kerouac, you know, and uh, for me, the ninth episode is, has, is the most important episode in terms of trying to communicate definitely something, you know, I love exploring the magical side of all this and the mystery of it. But, you know, the message in the ninth episode, I think, is a something that we have to address about our communities that we're in online, especially, but just in general, you know, in terms of fascism growing. I mean, something has changed. You know, we talked to Michael Hughes, Adam Go Rightly, all these guys. It just seems like the seed was planted a long time ago and it's grown and grown and grown. And, and where the, not to sound political, but I mean, it definitely is a political thing in terms of the conspiracy community 30 years ago was very left leaning. And the right wing sort of extremists were very a small part of that. Right. And now it's dominated by that. And the left leaning conspiracy theorists are far and few between, you know, they've been forced out. But it's kind of, you know, in a weird way that's filtered out through the paranormal and Fortean communities. And there's a lot of misogyny and there's a lot of racism. You know, those are all things I think we need to you know, just cop to, you know what I mean? Like it's ugly. It sucks. But like, I think we all have to talk about it. So the ninth episode was, is, was really for that. The episode that's coming out, um, probably this weekend is about sort of, you know, everybody that I talked to or not everybody, most people I interviewed that were guests on the show, I asked them about, you know, what is magic in your life, but also what's re-enchantment? You know, how do we activate re-enchantment in the world, in our lives? You know, what's magic? And so this next episode coming off of the sort of dark fascist episode, the Nazi episode, which also is almost three hours long because yeah. there's a lot of shit to cover. But I really wanted to do that whole thing justice and really show the research we've put into it and try to track that. But so the 10th episode is meant to be much more lighthearted, much more like, let's talk about magic. Right. And then um, the final episode, the finale is is really all of this stuff coming together into what you've heard us talk about a ton. Information theory. You know, there's a lot about IFA and a lot of our research about it's back to the cybernetics and back to how the talk that I gave at Strange Realities about decoding the universe and this idea of information theory. Try to bring all that together. I hope people aren't pissed off, you know, at, at the end of the season. It's like there isn't like a we didn't find Chuck Hayes and, you know, <laughs> uh, kidnap him or, you know what I'm saying? Like nothing crazy happened that we're like, we figured it out, you know, but really it's just to, to get everybody to the point where we are now and set up what we're going to explore next, what we're being pushed to explore. And it's time travel, man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> there's a few things that I, I have to double back to. And the first is, you know, you mentioned the Battle of Mill Springs and being near the Cumberland River. I think it's really fitting that whenever we first spoke, you know, back in November, two years ago. That's uh, crazy, dude. That's so crazy that I know. I've known you for two years. <laughs> I know. It's weird, man. My life has changed so much in, in the last three years. But, uh, we talked on on the podcast and and before and after and i told you my crazy story about smithland and livingston county and i asked for your guys opinions on it and, and i'm still working on that project like it's it's you know everything i've got but the cumberland river starts at smithland kentucky and goes all the way through the state you know and how fitting is it that we we met and talked about 
a town that no one knows exists on the Cumberland River and it ties into your town. You know, right. it's so it's so nuts. Uh, uh, I cut I cut I cut this out of the show. I didn't put this in the show, but Josh Van Hook. I just couldn't fit it in. I mean, I might put in some extended audio, but but Josh Van Hook, which if, uh, if you're not familiar with the show or don't know who that is, he's a um, a guide here. Uh, he's a former Marine, uh, but he's also got a an outdoor company, a guide company. Really good friend of ours, and so he really was into research about. Uh, Jesse James and and he talks about it in the show, but uh, man, like eight months ago, a, a, a while back, you know, I interviewed him early on about the Jesse James stuff. This was right around the time that we were really chasing down some of this, like a uh, uh, red hole. Remember? Yeah. We were, we were really looking into the, <laughs> to the, the horned being that came out of the uh, earth, you know, it was like yeah. the de- they thought it was Satan, but it sounded like pan. Right. And so there was this idea of like, could that have been the entrance to Edadorpa? Right. <laughs> and so I was talking to him about that. He mentioned the fact that now I don't know if this is exact. And this is he did logistical stuff, right? That's what he did in the Marines. He was a uh, uh, he figured out how to get the tanks from here to here through the terrain, right? And he told me, in his opinion, looking at the maps and what he knew professionally, and doing this research about Smithland and Edadorpa, and I told him about this stuff. He, of course, in his mind, three days ride from Smithland when you come off the river. Right. And then if you followed the river, it would be to the cave systems here in Pulaski County. Right. Mm. And so he was trying to draw a connection that what they're describing in Edadorpa, that cave isn't there, but that it's, you know, down here. Now, I don't I don't believe that to be the case. I think it is there. And, the, you know, I think the story was really trying It is playing off the idea of Mammoth Cave. Yeah. It's not Mammoth Cave, but definitely like that whole cave system, that part of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that was really interesting that he drew, you know what I mean? He was like, I think they made it all the way here, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Which, I mean, it's still possible, you know, yeah, I mean, I for it, sure. You know? And that was his professional opinion that, you know, you could do three day, a three day ride from Smithland along the Cumberland River. And the way the, the way the plateau is, the Pennyroyal Plateau and the river, this is where like the only place to cross the Cumberland is at Somerset. I mean, in Pulaski County, that's why the Battle of Mill Springs was such a pivotal battle, because in order to transport soldiers and horses and supplies, you had to go through this area across mm-hmm. the Cumberland. Um, and there wasn't a better place to cross Kentucky. And so his argument was, you know, if these guys were coming from the west east, they would naturally be funneled into this county. Right? And you know where they were coming from, right? Smithland, Kentucky. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Smithland. Yeah, like yeah. they had to. There's the big commissary there. That's uh, you know the natural oh, or the historical, you know, preserved. That's uh, right. Yeah, commissary yeah. that they used during the Civil War. You know. Yeah, and they did so, transport stuff down from Smithland yeah. all the way to Somerset. Yeah, isn't yeah. that bizarre? There was something that I don't know. It somehow eluded me whenever we talked for the first time. Like I didn't even think about, but I didn't know about the Battle of Mill Springs. I'm not. <laughs> a civil war historian by any stretch of the imagination, but there's all these connections that you get from like, it goes back, man, you start putting out the output and then you connect the dots with other people, with yourself, with that, whatever. Yeah. It's really interesting that our sort of like, you know, starting point ends up being the, you know, leads all these other connections. It's fascinating. The thing too, man, I think, you know, and the deeper we get into this and, you know, is, is finding these connections that go further back. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that go back to your childhood 
or something that, you know what I'm saying? Like early on where it's like, it's decades earlier. You start wondering, how could that have, how, like that connects to this, you know, how could something would have had to, to put these things into motion back then, right? That's what you initially think because, you know, you're, you're in a, um, a world that teaches you that time is linear and everything is, is causally related, right? So it's like, yeah. it had to have happened back then in order to, to happen now, right? Dan Dutton has experienced a lot of stuff like that, right? And especially right now, some things are happening with Dan and Dandy Land. When you come to, if you come down here for the Goblin Market, right? Because there's a lot of stuff that, that's happened that we haven't talked about, you know, online and stuff. But, but you and I talked about some of it while you were here in January. Some weird things are happening. But the where we're sort of being taken in the third season involves Terrence McKenna and his Time Wave Zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was not familiar with this at all. Right. Oh, and really? No, dude, I wasn't. Okay. So when I was in college, you know, I wasn't reading psychedelic stuff, you know, and psychedelic books and things. I definitely was doing psychedelics, but I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like, oh man, let's, you know, what's the, the you know, story. I wasn't reading Castaneda or, uh, you know, Terrence McKenna books or anything like that. You know, I enjoyed, enjoyed the drugs, but wasn't into the literature about it. You know, I had a weird, uh, trip one time where I had this realization that, and I drew, drew this out and this was like 2000, you know, 2001. I drew this out and it is this object at the end of time. And, and I was thinking about like 2012 and stuff like that. And that, the reason why more and more synchronicities were happening is that we were getting closer and closer to this thing and the information was bouncing off of it and coming back, right? So when an event happened, it was propagated forward in time, hit this this mirror, and then bounced back and crossed our path again. And that's why, you know, and the closer we got to it, the quicker the synchronicities would come, right? But I oh, drew I it all it. out. I dig it 100%. I'm all in. Right, right. Well, that's what Terrence McKenna, that's what, they in that's time wave zero, right? Yeah. Well, someone sent me this message recently and was like, have you ever heard of this before? And I was like, this is what I drew. And I've got like the writings and stuff. This is from, you know, two decades ago. I mean, I was typing up shit about this. I was telling everybody, you know, and I was like, oh, I had this weird vision, you know? And so I was like, well, this is strange. Well, Darian gets into, I've, I've started reading um, True Hallucinations where they recount their, their trip. Uh, he and his brother and, and that group of psychonauts. But Darian's further along than I am. And he was like, today he was messaging me. He was like, dude, he had a crazy encounter in the Philippines with a group of Nazis that were, that had a mining company. Right. And it was this weird, like Guterma esque kind of thing. And that he runs into the guy again in like Den- Boulder, Colorado. And it's like, tw- you know, years and years later, he runs in and he was like this crazy con- uh, synchronicity. But in that book, they start talking about all these synchronicities that are happening, right? All these events that are sort of spiraling out of, of their uh, interaction with this idea. And then he starts to realize that there are things that happened in his life as a child, in his teenage years, all these things that connect to what's happening. That's why it's supernatural is because there's no way that all these things could be connected unless something set these things in motion. Right. But then it's like, that's only if things are causal because what's happening now may be causing those things to happen in the past or even causing shifts in the timeline, you know, like a mandala effect almost. Right. Anyway, but those are the kinds of things that, that were happening 
the the entire time that we've been in, you know, in the last three years, four years that we've, you know, really been hitting this hardcore, there have been tons of things like that, you know, and our research into the uh, CCRU, Nick Land, you know, hyperstitions, you know, we had a guest on that from Amsterdam, uh, Raul Elizabeth uh, Cabrales, right, who is a, a philosophical researcher of time. Okay. And, and, and esotericism. And so that guest talked about this. We were talking about hyperstitions and Darian mentions Voorhees, right? And his whole Ukbar, Tertius, the, the story that, that they made up a, uh, an ancient civilization. And, and the more that they talked about it, it was a prank and then it became real. Right. Yeah. And so Darian thought that that was the first instance of a hyperstition, right? You know, that guest explained that, you know, Rowan explained that that wasn't a hyperstition until Nick Land created the concept of hyperstitions in 1992. And once Nick Land created that concept, the Borges story became a hyperstition, right? This idea of like a future event can recontextualize the timeline and that there is no linear time, you know, things that you remember happen happening in the past actually didn't happen in the past until what happened now just happened. So any, anyway, I, we're being pushed that also it involves King Arthur, dude. There's this, right. there's this crazy connection of King Arthur to the Glastonbury Zodiac, which is the Somerset Zodiac and a connection to King Arthur in Kentucky. Yeah, dude, that the Holy Grail, the, there's a ton of research about this. There are people that believe that King Arthur uh, was actually a Phoenician that came to Hyperborea, you know, Britain. There's a whole thing with this and that they left there and brought the grill to the United States to fucking Kentucky. And there's this stone here, right? The Redbird petroglyph. And then another thing called the Fletcher Guidestone. And there's a true belief that they buried the Holy Grail in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. That's all going to be in the third season. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers man i know i'm glad i'm glad i'm looking forward to where that goes i have i have some things sorry to go head. off on a crazy tangent too man I'm sorry. no not at all not tangential at all uh <laughs> it's part of the course i'm used to it and i'm looking at the chat you know in the live stream and matthew has asked uh have you looked at oak ridge and the weird shit that they're doing there that could be causing this it goes back to even the 1900s when john Hendricks saw a window of what was built 40 years later. So are you, do you know that story? Are you familiar with that story? Not as familiar as you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like that story, if you go to Oak Ridge, I haven't been down there to see the museum where this is, but you know, they printed that guy, you know, he's a farmer, you know, tilling his, his land or, or walk in the woods, but anyway, it was his farm. And he was like struck by a beam of light or there's like a, 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 you know, he saw a window, but he had this vision of a city being built on his farm, right? Of this huge city and all these people and all these things happening. I think he even describes a mushroom cloud, right? Or something. It's, it's crazy. But, you know, this is, uh, it was early 1900s. Yeah, I can't remember the exact year, but yeah, it was like 40 years before, you know, turn, turn of the century. And then they obviously built Oak Ridge, you know, Oak Ridge to, to construct, you know, that's part of the, the, the bomb project, the atomic bomb project. They built it exactly on that guy's farm, 
right? But at the time that he had the vision, he went to the newspaper, right? And he told everybody about what he saw. And they printed articles in the newspaper about how crazy he was <laughs> and how ridiculous this was, right? It's one of those times that we actually have documented evidence of the guy having the vision of his description. And then the rest of his life, he was treated like an idiot and a nut job. Then he dies, right? And then in whatever it was, 1940 or, uh, you know, they, they build Oak Ridge on his farm. And I think those articles are up at the museum in Oak Ridge. Um, I've always wanted to go down there and see that stuff because it, I mean, that's bonkers, right? I mean, that to me, that's verified psi active. I'm sure. People, researchers, you know, we're, we're looking at the Zetetic Scholar Journal right now, you know, uh, research-wise and in, uh, in, in the Lodge. I think those guys would probably be like, well, he just was lucky, <laughs> you know, coincidence, <laughs> you know, one in a million, but it happened. But it's like, that's got to be, you know, like, hey, James Randy, if you were still alive, you owe that guy some money, dude, you know, like. This is this is verified. We have a newspaper. It happened. Let's go back to McKenna for a second, if we can. You mentioned Time Wave Zero, his theory of the end of the world, basically, right? Yeah. And it yeah. ends up not really coming to fruition the way that everyone thought that, you know, that believed him thought it would. It ended in 2012, right? It, it coincided with the Mayan calendar thing that we all lived through. Yes, but. The person, I'm not going to reveal this stuff because this is going to be part of the third season, but okay. the person that sent me, the researcher that sent me the story said, have you heard of Time Wave Zero? And then I was like, oh, I'm having all these like memories back to, you know, what I'd seen, what, you know, on mushrooms. That person laid out what happened in 2012. And it absolutely meshes with everything we're researching this season, cybernetics, a lot of other stuff. Like when you read it, it's like. No shit. And this person has really well, like heavily researched this and it's not woo woo. It's like, this is crazy. And it's like, it did happen. It just didn't happen in the way that we all thought it would. Right. Okay. And it is absolutely fascinating. That's yeah, that's going to be a big part of that. Okay. So follow up question. I don't know how legitimate any of this is, and I'll get into it in a second. When did CERN first fire up? I, I don't know off the top of it. Was it 2012? I believe it was 2012. You know how the internet is. You know, you you find something you have no idea what basis of it is true. But I watched this video this one time. I was into the Mandela effect real hard for a minute because I naturally discovered the Mandela effect when I tried to look up the Berenstein Bears and only could find the Berenstein Bears. And I was like, this is insane. I remember in second grade asking my mom how to say this word because of the S-T-E-I-N, you know. Whatever. Anyway, so I, I'm digging into this and I find this video. It's this really weird video that claims it's footage from inside some office party at CERN before they, they fired up. Have you seen this video? Or do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all these weird signs and stuff. And, and it, it mentioned one of the signs says something about Mandela or, or whatever. And that whole thing, I don't know how true that is, but if it really did fire up at the end of Time Wave Zero, is it something that you've looked into? No, I haven't, but now I will. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I mean, I mean, I have thought about CERN and the Mandela effect. Definitely that, but I hadn't thought about connecting it to time wave zero, you know, definitely. I've always been like, did they, you know, did that cause a proliferation of parallel worlds or something like that, you know, because, because wasn't there a, they, there's even footage, not when it was fired up, but since it's been open, 
there was an, a footage of a group of occultists in robes at CERN. Yeah. You seen that video, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not when they fired it up, but it's another time. Yeah. And, uh, and they were like, Oh, we were just joking around. You know, it was just like a prank video. And it's like, well, was it, mm. <laughs> you know, like dude on the, the topic of the Mandela effect, I didn't put this in the, the ninth episode. I, I'm going to talk about it a little bit. I think in the final episode, the finale of this season, but the whole idea of historical revisionism and people re-engineering reality that came from Darian, right? And we were, we were having a conversation and he, he just had one of these crazy thoughts where it was like, what if the revisionists are trying to change history, right? Like these guys are esotericists or, you know, they're studying magic. They, it's like, what if they're trying to do, because we know that, you know, Michael Bertio, uh, the, the famous magician that he knows time magic rituals, right? We know the bait cabal were into time magic and vortex magic. So if these people are doing that type of magic, then these, <laughs> I guess, right-wing esotericists, you know, are, are doing things like that. And so if you were trying to erase the Holocaust, which seems insane, you know, and I, and I know this is just, you know, I didn't put this in the show because I do think this is a controversial thing to even consider, right? That these guys would think, that they could try to use magic to alter. And it's not like physically change time, but it's like just shift everybody's consciousness enough that, that it didn't happen the way that you think, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what if they were targeting, you know, these moments in history? That's why I was talking about like the JFK assassination, right? These hinges, you know, even Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in uh, World War One, right? And remember the guy was going to assassinate him and he failed. And so, like, he went and sat down at a bar and started getting drunk because he was like, you know, I failed. And then our, the Archduke Ferdinand's car gets lost, ends up pulling up beside the guy's bar. And the dude's like, holy shit. You know, it's like this crazy reordering of reality in some, like, insanely coincidental way, right? And you look at, like, the JFK assassination. There are all these, like, different ways it could have happened. Right. I mean, a lot of evidence that it happened various ways, all of them possible. You know, it's like there was this fracturing. And so I was just thinking, you know, even the Titanic, the way the Titanic went down and the whole Titanica story or the, the wreck of the Titan, you know, that, that was written years before the, the Titanic. It's like there are these weird events that sort of ripple through time and space and are kind of fractured. And it's like, what if some of these people used magic, you know, like maybe those are weak spots, you know, and, and, and they're able to change things. So if they were trying to re-engineer reality, is that why we're experiencing the Mandela effect? It's, it's actually these esotericists slightly shifting time. I don't know. And independently, I've thought of almost each of those examples that you've given. I've never thought of them as a time magic ritual. <laughs> well, or just like, it's, it's like a, if you were a, a, a magician using time magic, that's one of the p points I would focus on because there are a lot of entry points because no one knows exactly what happened. At, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like a, a window that's broken, you know, that's shattered. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of, lots of ways to get in, into the creases of time there, you know, yeah. plant something, let it, slowly spread across the decades, shift everybody, you know, some people are aware of the shift 
and they have, you know, fragments of those memories left over. Some people aren't, you know, they've fully shifted. I'm just like you, dude. I remember the Berenstain Bears thing. I do, you know, the Mandela thing, too. I thought he was dead. Oh, yeah. You know? and, and so, like, those things are weird. You know, I know there are lots of other examples, but God, there's a great episode of Beyond Creepy. Do you know Beyond Creepy? I don't. The, it's a YouTube channel and the guy, he narrates like three stories and he's a great researcher. Those stories are fantastic. Almost always they're stories I've never heard of when that's what's great about it. You know, it's, it's like the deep cuts of high strangeness, you know, and uh, so I'm sure it takes a lot of time to do it, but really great videos. But one of them is about a VHS tape. It's a tape of, I can't, I can't think of the exact details right now, but ultimately something happens. They remember that they have a tape of that, right? Event. And they go down there, they have this VHS collection, they go down, they find the tape because apparently that didn't happen, but they've got it on tape. They like leave the tape downstairs on a table and then run back up to make a phone call. And I think they do make the phone call to somebody to say, no, no, this happened. I've got evidence of it, you know, and they were going to run it to the a news station, you know, and show them. And then they went back downstairs and the tape was gone. The suggestion was that that time or there were time police or that you know what i mean it was like oops got to clean that little bit that we didn't change up you know and that didn't get shifted and they went and stole the tape and then so the person was like i swear to god <laughs> this is true <laughs> time shifted they took the tape away from me i mean i love stuff like that you know but but i do think there's something to it there's something yeah. to time magic and all these things. I swear, man, there's just so much stuff that's happened in this whole penny royal mystery. Things are just related across, incredibly across time in, in just weird ways that defy logic and reason. I think a, a lot of times, and I talk about this in the next couple of episodes, it's difficult to explain to someone what a synchronicity is because it's so personal. Mm -hmm. It's like witnessing a miracle. If I try to describe to you the miracle I've just seen, that's an ineffable moment, you know, and it's like, of course, you're not going to be able to understand what I'm talking about or how, how the gravity of the moment. You know, I think most synchronicities are that way. The big ones, though, like some of this shit that we've discovered with Guterma and Chuck Hayes and stuff, those are things that are just like, it doesn't matter who you are. When you look at it, it's like, that's impossible. That is impossible that these things are connected, but they are. That's where the magic is, man. You know? <laughs> uh, the magic is definitely everywhere. Okay. You have professed multiple times that you, you have no interest in, in pursuing the practitioner of magic in your life. You know, you have, you have this resolve about you that it's not for you. You're not going to do it. And that's fine. That is totally yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I have said multiple times myself that you guys just don't know that you're doing this magic down there. And you are totally, totally altering the landscape on so many levels, just not only looking at the things. And you you love your second order cybernetics, right? Just by looking at it, you're changing it. Also, you're putting this stuff out and it's affecting other people and they're also changing it. Matthew Berg will agree with me. You are totally technomancers <laughs> and you, you refuse to accept and believe that, but you have fundamentally sort of sculpted this whole phase of your life around magic, doing magic that you refuse to, to admit you're doing. And I love it. It's true. This is true. <laughs> 
Imagine what you'll do if you perform some crazy ritual down there in Somerset and you have all this energy now, like, you know, that's just built up because you refuse to admit you have it. So you haven't even released it yet. You're just seeing the effects of it oozing out of you. Now, if you release that, man, it'd be like a locomotive. (laughs) Maybe you're the one that's changing time and you're going back and and setting up this JFK shit and it's all you. So you can discover it to to further that in your mind that you haven't you haven't done this yet. So now you have more energy so you can use it for something else that we don't know about yet. Have have you seen the film uh it's a Spanish film called uh Time Crimes? I have the not. guy <laughs> watch it because it's like this guy is fighting against this other guy. I think there's like three versions of him. It turns out it's him at different points in the timeline, right? It's him, but he's the one that actually set every, the whole problem that he's trying to solve. He set in motion accidentally, you know, maybe we, <laughs> we did. I still, you know, I just think for me, like the formal practice of magic, obviously magical thinking and, and we study magic, you know what I mean? Like we're obviously doing experiments with magic. I definitely am. I'm, you know, I obviously believe in it. You know, I'm very much open to it. I just, I just think for me, the formal practice of it, I don't know, man, I'm just wary. I just feel like there's already so much weird shit happening. I'm just afraid that it'll just open up a whole other can of worms, you know? Yeah, I get it. I get it for sure. It's, you know, it's hard enough to go to sleep at night. You know, we've, we've been going here for a while and uh, I know you don't care that it is, you know, the wee hours of the morning because this is when you operate. This is when you do the magic. You refuse to believe that you're doing right. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let you wrap up things, plug, plug Penny Royal and, and the Patreon and all that good stuff. Yeah, man. Um, again, dude, thanks for having me on tonight and having me on the show again, dude. I, I love, you know, I love chatting with you. Also, you, you co-hosted the live stream with me too, which again, I thank you so much for uh, and all the research that, you know, we do together. And I, I love it, man. So thank you for that. If anybody's interested in checking out Penny Royal, which I, I hope you do, you can go to uh, pennyroyalpodcast.com uh, is our website. The show's on Spotify, Apple, all those things. We've also got Patreon called the Liminal Lodge, uh, where we share our research, you know, kind of real time talk about all the stuff that we're kind of figuring out a lot of the stuff that that's in the second season we talked about all through the year you know it was just the second season sort of how it all comes together into into a narrative form but yeah if you're interested in helping us dig into the mystery and 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 solve some things which a lot of stuff in the second season came from the watch it really did you know definitely check that out and if you enjoy the show definitely give us a um Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It always helps us out. So this guy too. Make sure you review this show. You know, five stars. Thank you so much for coming back on the show and uh, doing another live stream too. I can't wait till the next one. Whenever we're probably gathered here sometime next year, talking about season three of yeah. Penny Royal. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on too. Okay. Good night, everybody. Peace. Love you. Until next time, keep the fire going.